joining us today on Superheroes of Science, we're pleased to welcome Dimitrios Giannios, Associate Professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy here at Purdue University. So welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking time to meet with us so we can interview you. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very excited. I say Sarah and I, when we were chatting about it, we were very excited. Oh, yes. I think... Uh, uh, and it's you're gonna have a little bit of explaining to do uh, because uh, I think when we start talking about your area of research, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people will have either misconceptions or no idea exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, do you want to start kind of explaining what you research? I, I can't remember how we start. Okay, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to discuss my research uh, with you. Uh, my work is on theoretical astrophysics. So we are here on Earth and we are wondering what happens out there in the universe. And we are looking at uh, violent phenomena, uh, uh, at phenomena that have to do with deaths of stars, with explosions, uh, with the formation of black holes and neutron stars and other exotic uh, objects. And of course, we are so far away, we can get all this information just mainly, actually, just from the light that we receive from these uh, objects. So it's really the electromagnetic radiation from uh, these sources out there in the universe that we are learning about uh, the universe in a whole, as a whole. Now, when you say electromagnetic radiation, I think you were uh, kind of going to explain a little bit more what we mean when we talk, start talking about that? Uh, uh, absolutely. And uh, if I may share a screen with you so that uh, uh, Okay, uh, you get the, uh, the picture, so I guess now we can share the screen. Here is a plot or a, a graph, if you wish, of the electromagnetic spectrum. Now, we call it in many different names, but it's one thing, it's light. Electromagnetic radiation is light, just uh, like the light we see from uh, uh, the sun. Uh, at the same time, there are waves. It's, the, it's oscillate, oscillating electric and magnetic uh, field. Many times we call it also photons because quantum mechanically waves and particles are the same, the two sides of the same uh, coin. So you hear many names for this thing, but in reality it's just light. Now, the big difference is that our eyes are trained to see only a small, narrow range of this uh, light. We can see the red, the green, uh, up to the blue, the rainbow colors. But that's also only a narrow range. In reality, the light extends from radio to microwave, like in your microwave uh, oven, to infrared, all the way to X-rays and gamma rays. And this is also light, but it is oscillating at different frequencies. So gamma rays is light that oscillates very fast. And when you have fast oscillations, you have short wavelengths. And as you can see here in this uh, plot, for example, let's go back here. Uh, here at uh, the gamma rays, you have short wavelengths and very high frequencies of oscillation. Now, what our eyes can see is this very narrow range of the spectrum, which has the colors that we all, are, we all know. It is the red, the yellow, the green, the blue, the violet of the rainbow but uh, the spectrum extends at much wider uh, range. And so when we're talking about the different um, wavelengths, 
or do they call bands? Like an X-ray, is it a band, or is it just that wavelength? How do we how do we say that? I don't want to say it wrong. That's that that is exact. So uh, just uh, uh, so that we speak the same language, uh, the astronomers we decide okay a range of wavelengths of these uh, uh, waves uh, to call them with a specific name. So there is the band of the X-rays, uh, there is the band of uh, gamma rays, ultraviolet, uh, and so on. For the optical light, the light we can see with our eyes, we call it a uh, visual. Now, visual is uh, what uh, our sun produces and most of the stars are producing. And in fact, uh, our eyes are trained because of the sunlight to be sensitive, to be able to see this light. Since the sun produces this light, our eyes evolved through evolution, actually, to look at this exactly uh, wavelengths. Uh, but in fact, there are animals in the animal kingdom, uh, for example, the snakes, that can look at the infrared. So they can uh, look at the infrared, which are longer wavelengths, and can detect the heat of the bodies of small mammals. And that's how they do the hunting during the night. It's essentially like uh, infrared cameras that they are using. So, for example, if you forget about the visual, you can think how the world, how the things around us would look like in the infrared. And these are the infrared cameras you are seeing here. This person here takes a photo of himself in the infrared, and you can see his head glowing even more because it's the heat generated uh, because of his uh, body. And you see his glasses are dark just because they're cooler. They're not touching his uh, uh, face. And you see this cute dog here. He, it is red just because of the heat of its body. So if you were a snake during the night, you could go and attack this dog just looking at the heat, uh, heat of its body. Furthermore, for example, here you can see the X-ray vision. We are all aware of X-rays because, okay, if we break something, we go, we take our X-ray, and we see the structure of our bones. The X-rays have the ability to penetrate, penetrate through our skin and muscles, but they are blocked by the bones. So the X-rays actually take a picture of the structure of our bones. So it's the same hunt, but looking at it through the X-rays, it looks very different. But I, just to, uh, I, I do want to make clear though, um, to, or, or I could be a misconception for me, but uh, it, we don't have like in our phones, we can't actually do. I know it looks like it's almost a camera, a phone camera doing, but we don't have technology who would actually take x-rays through a, like a camera or a phone, right? That is correct. That's just to show that uh, in fact, uh, using the x-rays, you can see the same object, a very different view of the same uh, object. Um, we have infrared cameras. We can look at the infrared. Uh, looking directly at the heat uh, of, uh, of the body. Uh, and that actually to make the point that uh, the sun is very hot, it has a temperature of 6,000 degrees, and that results in the visual and the optical light. Our bodies are, of course, cooler at that uh, 100 Fahrenheit. They produce different light, infrared light. Every object with some object with some temperature produces light. The light from our bodies is in the infrared, and then you can use an infrared detector to see the light. That is uh, the point here one can make, and that we, we exploit this a lot in astrophysics, uh, because with different detectors, 
nowadays we don't only look at the optical light from the different objects, but we have satellites in orbit around the Earth to detect uh, the sources in the X-rays, in the infrared, and in the gamma rays, for example. So looking at the same object at different wavelengths, we see something very different for this object. Just like these pictures here, looking at the different wavelengths, we get a very different information for these uh, uh, objects. Oh, very nice. So if I may continue, actually I can directly tell you what we can learn from looking at different wavelengths uh, at the same object. And here it's a very familiar object to everybody. And guess what it is, right? As the name here reveals, it's just our sun, right? It's the same object and it looks so different in the different pictures. Why is that? Well, that is the sun that we all know and love, that is in the visible. And you, even if you notice, there is these dark spots that you see in the surface. And these are the sunspots of the sun. These are regions actually where there is activity. There are strong magnetic fields and it's a bit cooler there. That, that's why it appears as dark in the optical. However, if you look at the sun at the radio or infrared, are different frequency of the radiation, you see very different picture. In fact, uh, uh, scientists realize that there is so much activity happening outside the surface of the sun. And you can see all these spectacular flares and hot spots, regions. It's much bigger now in size in other wavelengths. Uh, and this is only possible to study if you go beyond the optical uh, light. That was possible actually only after the 50s, 1950s and 60s, when satellites made it outside Earth's atmosphere. The reason for this is that uh, X-rays and gamma rays and all this radiation cannot penetrate the atmosphere of the Earth. It's blocked in the atmosphere. And that's good for life on Earth because we would be completely burned by X-rays and ultraviolet light from the sun, right? It would be very bad for us and very bad for life. But it's bad also not to be able to see the universe. So you have to make it outside the atmosphere to observe at these wavelengths. And so are all of these, the pictures, you, the images I see on the screen, are those all being emitted from the sun itself then? So it's actually emitting X-rays and emitting infrared and radio and visible and it, it's emitting those wavelengths? Exactly. That is exactly. Most of the light we see from the sun comes from the optical, but there is emission in all these different wavelengths. In fact, these pictures are simultaneous. It's the same sun taking the same instant. This dark spot you see here actually corresponds to this uh, bright spot in the infrared or to this bright spot in the X-rays. So you know that all, although it is darker in uh, the optical light, there is more activity happening at other wavelengths. And that tells you something about how hot is the sun in this uh, region and processes that take place in this particular dark spot here uh, of the sun. I know we can look at the sky and see the sun, but you had mentioned looking at like the formation of stars or the formation of black holes or, or maybe you said the explosion of stars, but how, what's the time frame? Like when we get information or, or see light coming from stars that are really far away, 
is it, how long does it take for, for stars that are really far away to get to us to see those? Oh, yes. It's a bit of a, a, like an archaeology. We are looking at the past, just looking at the night sky. Uh, looking at the star that is in our own galaxy, we are looking at how the star was some 10 or 20 or 30,000 years ago. So light takes 30,000 year years to travel from our, some place in our galaxy uh, to us. Uh, so we are looking at the past. However, we see faraway galaxies and the uh, explosions that take place in a faraway galaxy. And then for the light, it could take millions or even billions of years to make it uh, to us. We are looking at things that ha have happened maybe just after the birth of our own uh, universe. We are looking deep into the past in many cases. Um, yeah. Even with those waves, I mean, those, those same waves from all that time ago, if they've made it this far so we can see it, that seems, that's yes. hard. That's amazing. Our universe is transparent for radiation. The waves keep traveling uh, forever in the, in the universe. The challenge is that uh, if you are looking at a far away source, the waves get diluted. It spread more and more and more. So what you need is bigger and bigger detectors to get a very faint signal, a very faint detection uh, of the source. So the further away, if I hold the lamp and I'm next to it, I can see it bright and clear. If I put it a mile away, it will get uh, uh, fairly faint. Uh, in these cases, as if I, I put the lamp somewhere to the moon and I try to look at it. So it's, it's a similar situation where you try to get uh, to see a tiny, very faint source that is very far away. Now, are these other um, stars, are they emitting the same wave bands that you mentioned as our sun? Yes, when we're looking at the stars, uh, they are mainly uh, emitting at the same wave bands. Some stars are a bit redder and some stars are a bit uh, bluer, but overall they are emitting around the visual. And that was our naive picture of the universe when we had only optical telescopes. What is the galaxy or the universe is a collection of stars. Well, interesting because they are hosting uh, and nurturing life on Earth, uh, but they live for billions of years and not much changes, right? That was the picture about the universe. However, when we send the satellites in orbit and looked at X-rays and gamma rays and infrared radiation, we found actually a completely new universe, completely new sources we hadn't imagined. And these are sources that are changing all the time. Uh, they are uh, uh, varying their light. You see explosions and things that change all the time. And just, these are just some pictures of these uh, discoveries that took place only the last few uh, decades. Uh, in uh, X-rays uh, and infrared, we saw pulsars. These are, pulse, uh, these are rotating neutron stars. Uh, neutron stars and black holes, to back up a bit, are the end point of the death of very big stars. When a star has lived its life uh, for millions or billions of years, finally it collapses, it runs out of fuel, cannot anymore resist its own gravity and collapses to a compact object that can be a black hole or a neutron star. And uh, these neutron stars are really dense objects. You take the mass of the sun or twice the mass of the sun, 
you shrink it to something of the size of the broader Lafayette area. Uh, that's the size is around six miles, the size uh, of a neutron star, and its density is absolutely enormous. You can imagine it's, uh, uh, it's uh, let's, let's calculate, it's uh, a million billion times denser than water. Okay, oh. so it's, it's very, very dense object. Black holes are even more compact and from black holes, not even light can escape. These are predictions from general, from Einstein's theory of relativity. And now they have been directly observed with these very powerful telescopes. Wow, how does particles compact that tight be so dense? Yeah, so uh, in fact, uh, the neutron star looks like a huge nucleus. So you have your atoms and your atoms have the nucleus and the electrons rotating around in the nucleus. Now, uh, in normal uh, matter, the space between the nuclei is vast. The nucleus is tiny and then the space is very large. There is a lot, lot, a lot of empty space. Now, when uh, the neutron stars are forming, you pack things so close together that the nuclei are touching each other. So essentially the whole neutron star, you can think of it as a huge nucleus. It has the density of nuclear matter. The whole star is as dense as the nucleus of, uh, for example, uh, uranium nucleus. Wow. <laughs> uh, these are extreme objects. As I said, they can be six miles across. They can spin fast, faster than our bladders. They can speed they can spin a thousand times per second and they are sending to us fast pulses of radiation. In that case, we call them pulsars. And this is exactly the picture of one of these uh, pulsars. It's formed actually at the year 1054. We know even the year when this uh, neutron star was born. Uh, and the reason is uh, that uh, uh, Chinese astronomers recorded the supernova uh, at that year uh, uh, in the specific location of the sky. Now, modern astronomers realized that we see here the neutron star that came out of this uh, recorded, historically recorded supernova. Oh, so I, I mean, the, I, wow, because I would have thought the time it would take to, re to record something like that would be like, it would take a billion years for it to happen. And so are these events that do not take as long to happen as I would have thought? That is the exciting part. You can have a star, it can live quietly for millions of years, like a, like a normal star, but once it runs out of fuel, it cannot burn anymore, then everything can happen very, very fast. In fact, it just takes a few seconds or minutes for the collapse of the star to a neutron star, and then within one hour or so, you get the supernova uh, explosion. The light from the supernova is uh, very bright. Uh, it lasts for months. So in fact, this specific supernova is believed that was visible in daytime for a few months. It was so bright, you could see it even at daytime until it fainted uh, away. What is left behind is uh, this structure here. It's a faint object that we still see around 1,000 years after its explosion. 
Holy moly. And we only know this because we have, um, I want to say, special cameras out in space outside of our atmosphere that can record at those wavelengths outside of the visible, and that's how we know this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, just with the visible light, uh, with the telescopes, we cannot get so much uh, information about this specific uh, objects, but the satellites in orbit uh, look at the whole sky, take pictures and uh, focus on these interesting uh, sources and they study them uh, in detail. Um, here, if you want, uh, I can discuss uh, one more uh, source of interest. You see this uh, black uh, cycle here and uh, this bright dot over there. That's actually an actual picture, an actual observation at radio wavelengths of uh, the silhouette of a black hole. So now this is a big black hole at the center of a nearby galaxy. And normally you would think that black hole, well, it's black, it's not supposed to produce uh, uh, any light. Uh, but what we see shining here is a hot gas that falls into the black hole. While gas approaches the black hole, gets very hot and very shiny before it crosses the horizon of the black hole, the point of no return, after which you cannot see any light. So with this extremely nice strong telescopes in the radio wavelengths, you can essentially take these tiny objects on the sky, amplify it in size and see what is happening uh, over there. These are very, very challenging observations. The size of this uh, on the sky is like taking a coin I don't know, a quarter, put it on the moon, and you try to see the size of this quarter on the moon. Oh. That's the size of this black hole in this uh, galaxy, as seen from Earth, of course. Oh, wow. And How long does it take to find something like that? I mean, this is a really nice picture. Like, how long did it take someone to discover? Or is it just kind of by chance? Or yeah, it's, it's, you know what you're looking for? Right. We knew more or less where to look for it. Uh, and uh, that is uh, what happens at very much larger scales of this object. There are this, all this uh, hot gas that is leaving the center of a galaxy moving on this straight line. So astronomers for quite some time believe that there is something very interesting happening at the very heart at the beginning of this object, which was exactly at the center of a galaxy. They knew that there is a large black hole being somewhere there. But to be able to take the photo of the black hole, you had to spread radio telescopes all around the Earth and devote a lot of time. It took several decades of effort of this collaboration to make this uh, picture. Oh, wow. And so are do countries all over the Earth are they collab? I mean, when we say astrophysics, I guess we never really totally defined what astrophysics was. And so I have two questions for you. Uh, one, what exactly do we mean when we say astrophysics? And two, are there countries and scientists all over the world that collaborate to find out what's happening outside of the world? So two questions. Yes. Uh, sure, astrophysics is anything uh, that is happening uh, beyond our solar system. So there are fields of physics that uh, have to do with uh, the Earth or the solar system, which we could call, for example, solar physics. 
but then moving beyond our solar system, every, anything else, even cosmology and the universe as a whole is a part uh, of uh, astrophysics and cosmology. Um, now, uh, the second question was about the, the collaboration. Right, this uh, uh, observation required the radio detectors to be placed as far as pa apart as uh, possible to make very detailed observation of this uh, object. So in fact, this uh, photo required detectors in Hawaii, a, a few of them in continental US, Latin America, Antarctica, Canaria Islands, uh, Europe, and so on and so forth. You had to spread them as wide as possible. So you have to go from Antarctica all the way to Arizona, for example. Wow. Wow. What benefit um, with this many different places and people were willing to collaborate to discover this knowledge. What is the benefit to people? What uh, other than, I, I mean, I'm assuming just understanding the unknown. But uh, what benefit do other benefits are people seeing with this? So these uh, observations are uh, testing uh, our uh, understanding of physics to the extreme. When uh, uh, Albert Einstein wrote down his equation for the general theory of relativity, then uh, uh, which was is describing how gravity uh, uh, works. Uh, and in fact, is an important theory with many practical applications. Although it seems so remote and so strange, in fact, uh, just the GPS uh, application, the global positioning system, cannot work uh, without the knowledge of general theory of uh, relativity. You have to correct for the general theory of relativity to have it uh, uh, working. But moreover, uh, when he wrote uh, down his equations, people soon after him realized that there are some strange solutions of his equations giving birth to exotic objects like black holes. Uh, so the ultimate test of his theory comes from uh, testing, looking for these uh, objects and testing his uh, theory to the uh, extreme. Uh, as you said, it's more like a, a conceptual battle we are having all the time, trying to push our knowledge to the new extremes and try to see. Uh, actually, we are looking forward for a point where our theories are breaking down. In physics, we like actually when we fail. We like when our theories are failing because then it's the new opportunity to learn something uh, uh, new. So we like to push the theories and looking forward to any failure of the theory. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Now, it's like you took, you had the pictures of different pictures of our sun at different wavelengths. And so you showed us x-ray, infrared, visible. And so did, if this was taken at the same time, are all these different wave bands traveling through space at the same uh, speed? Or do they arrive at a spot uh, staggered? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Light, at, independently of its wavelength, travels exactly at the same speed. The speed of light, which is 300,000 kilometers per second. To say it in another, other words, uh, it takes a, approximately one second for light to arrive from the moon to us. So uh, uh, the moon is one light second away from us, if you wish, in this uh, astronomical uh, units. 
The sun is eight minutes away from us, which means that the light takes approximately eight minutes uh, to travel from the sun to us. And this is correct for all the different uh, wavelengths. The same for X-rays, optical or radio uh, wavelengths. Uh, that was predicted uh, by Maxwell's equations that describe uh, light, electromagnetic radiation, and it's indeed uh, verified. Um, to that, I want to add that uh, uh, all the information we get about the universe nowadays is not coming only from light. Uh, the last five, ten years or so, we have opened new windows to look at the universe. And that is uh, thanks to neutrinos, which are uh, very weakly interacting uh, particles, thanks to gravitational waves, which are ripples of space and time, and which also propagate, which also travel at the speed of light. And finally, that's because of cosmic rays, which are uh, charged particles of very high energy that arrive on, uh, on Earth, hit the atmosphere of Earth. All of these different messengers teach us about the universe, together with the electromagnetic radiation. Uh, see, and that's amazing. We went from years ago to just having visible light to be able to, then you went found all these wavelengths that you're able to search, and now you're finding things beyond those, being the, the particles and gravitational waves. What do you, uh, what do you predict is, uh, let's say, I don't know, 100 years from now, what, what types of things do you think that we'll be using to understand the uh, beyond our universe here? Now, that, that's such a good uh, question. Uh, now, right now and in the next decades, what we are trying to do is to combine the information of the different messengers, right? So, uh, for example, a few years ago was the first discovery of gravitational waves and light at the same time from the same source. It was two neutron stars rotating around each other. They were producing gravitational waves and when they smashed against each other, like in this picture here, they produce a flash of uh, gamma rays and other uh, wavelengths, uh, light from other wavelengths as well. So now for the first time, we can combine information from different uh, sources, different types uh, of uh, waves. Now in the distant uh, future, of course, uh, we, you know, it's, it's, it's out there, uh, hopefully, you know, I cannot predict anything about this because it will be completely uh, crazy, but uh, just listening uh, or measuring gravitational waves, you can learn about more violent things that may be happening in the universe, like uh, exotic objects that we are only speculating now, like cosmic strings and, and uh, some uh, topological uh, uh, let's say, uh, artifacts that you may have in the universe, all these uh, uh, exotic objects, maybe they, uh, we can start detecting them directly for, with, for example, gravitational waves. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And it just amazes me, when I first saw these, the, like the pictures you're showing now, uh, to be honest, I assumed they were like an artist rendering of what we thought was happening. I didn't realize when I first started seeing these that oh, these are actual images that were taken out there in space. And I think that's just amazing that we have technology to record what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Happening. Yes, the technology has made it there. 
where we can in fact just see directly the uh, silhouette of a black hole. Of course, to be honest, this is still artistic reddening here. The smashing neutral stars, we didn't see the neutral stars smashing. It's just still too small of an object uh, uh, to detect them directly. Although in uh, gravitational waves, you could see the frequency of two neutral stars coming, uh, rotating around each other to increase as they were coming closer and closer and closer together. And then the signal disappeared the moment that they smashed touched each other and became one object. So that, that was a very spectacular uh, detection there. Oh, I, I would think. <laughs> what, um, all right, so I, I think this is amazing and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. So what advice would you give students that were like, oh, I totally want to look into this. I want to learn this and be able to, to do this for, for a career down the road. What advice do you have them to, uh, for students who would like to get into this? Yeah, it, it is an exciting uh, field. There, is, there are many things happening right now. A few days or a month ago, they gave the Nobel Prize in, of Physics uh, in the discovery uh, and uh, research related to black holes. And four years ago, they gave another Nobel Prize in Physics for the gravitational waves related again to collisions of black holes. So the field is very exciting and very fast uh, uh, developing uh, uh, and offers many new possibilities for uh, graduate students. In fact, the first picture of a black hole and the software that was written to analyze this type of uh, uh, data that came uh, to make this picture was from a a graduate student. She was uh, going there, writing the, the programs, doing the analysis. She took a graduate student with a, a lot of uh, computer science and data analysis uh, techniques uh, to, uh, to make such a, a picture. That is to say that fresh minds uh, can come now and make a difference in the field because the field itself is fast uh, evolving. It's a lot about uh, 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 big data. It's of course about physics, but it's also a lot about uh, new uh, data analysis techniques that are entering these fields. Ah, so uh, I, I like the fact you bring up the big data. And I imagine the data sets that you guys have to be able to go through is just inconceivable. Enormous, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Nowadays, there are these surveys. We are looking at the night sky with a telescope. And we are receiving many terabytes uh, of uh, data every night. And you are looking for things in the sky that are changing. And obviously, you cannot go by eye and look all these billions of sources out there. You have to write very smart software that are identifying automatically anything that is changing in the night sky, night after night after night. Ah, oh, see, there you go. You uh, go into uh, programming and then try to figure out what happened in the universe uh, a million years ago. <laughs> so we are trying both to simulate the, the universe. Uh, our work in my group is theoretical. We do computer simulations of the fluids that participate in these uh, explosions. But this comes hand in hand with observations where they get all this data and analyze all this data for the observations of these objects. And what do you mean by the fluids that are in part of this? So uh, here, what we see as shining is very hot 
plasma. Plasma is another, uh, it's the fourth uh, uh, state of, uh, of material. It's very hot uh, uh, fluid where the electrons are not anymore nicely uh, rotating around uh, the nuclei, but it's so hot that it's just a soup of free electrons and uh, nuclei in these uh, uh, fluids. So we are solving for the equations uh, of uh, magnetized fluids, trying to understand how the plasma is heated and how it produces uh, uh, light. These simulations have to include uh, the special theory of relativity. This uh, material may be moving with a speed very close to the speed of light. Uh, and you have to account for uh, general, the general theory of relativity, meaning that the space-time is curved. So you have to consider the motion of this uh, fluid in curved uh, space-time. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> this, mercy. Well, thank you. This is this will fit into so many areas, mm -hmm. and uh, it's I think it's so amazing uh, of a field itself. And uh, kind of ex I'm really excited that we got to talk to you about it and learn a little bit, just a little bit more about yeah. um, understanding the universe behind us. <laughs> Absolutely, it's my pleasure. And uh, yes, once we get another chance, I'm happy to to be back and discuss some more for any of these topics, for example, gravitational waves or neutrinos, all these different messengers that we are using to explore the universe. Mm -hmm.